How do you propose to get in touch with your would-be employers? Advertisement, replied Tuppence promptly. Have you got a bit of paper and a pencil? Men usually seem to have, just like we have hairpins and powder puffs. Tommy handed over a rather shabby green notebook, and Tuppence began writing busily. Shall we begin, young officer, twice wounded in the war? Certainly not. Oh, very well, my dear boy. But I can assure you that that sort of thing might touch the heart of an elderly spinster, and she might adopt you, and then there would be no need for you to be a young adventurer at all. I don't want to be adopted. I forgot you had a prejudice against it. I was only ragging you. The papers are full up to the brim with that type of thing. Now listen, how's this? Two young adventurers for hire. Willing to do anything, go anywhere, pay must be good. Might, we might as well make that clear from the start. Then we might add, no reasonable offer refused, like flats and furniture. I should think any offer we get in answer to that would be a pretty unreasonable one. Tommy, you're a genius. That's ever so much more chic. No unreasonable offer refused, if pay is good. How's that? I shouldn't mention pay again. It looks rather eager. It couldn't look as eager as I feel. But perhaps you were right. Now I'll read it straight through. Two young adventurers for hire, willing to do anything, go anywhere. Pay must be good. No unreasonable offer refused. How would that strike you if you read it? It would strike me as either being a hoax or else written by a lunatic. It's not half so insane as a thing I read this morning beginning Petunia and signed Best Boy. She tore out the leaf and handed it to Tommy. There you are. The Times, I think. Reply box so-and-so. I expect it will be about five shillings. Here's half a crown for my share. Tommy was holding the paper thoughtfully. His face burned a deeper red. Shall we really try it? He said at last. Shall we, Tuppence? Just for the fun of the thing? Tommy, you're a sport. I knew you would be. Let's drink to success. She poured some cold dregs of tea into the two cups. Here's to our joint venture, and may it prosper. The Young Adventurers LTD, responded Tommy. Joining me on the show today is Carly Spidell, here to discuss The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. We'll talk about what makes for a good mystery, why Agatha Christie was so great at them, and how to sell a billion copies of a novel, because it's a rather impressive feat. Uh, if you enjoy mysteries or adventures or just a little bit of an oddball take on a classic genre, uh, you'll be sure to enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Blue Collar Book Review Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bain. Joining me today is my sister, Carly, to discuss The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. Carly, for as long as I can remember... You have been reading mysteries. Like, of the two of us, you were definitely the more mystery. Oh, I love them. Oh, yeah. Forever. Um, you actually got yourself suspended from picking movies for the family. <laughs> yeah. You know. Because <laughs> you loved them just a little too much. <laughs> a little too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but, as our resident expert here, um, why? first of all, why do you like mysteries so much? And what makes for a good one? Well, I like mysteries because, well, and so the answer to this, if things don't follow this rule, I think they don't make a good mystery. Okay. But for the most part, they get tied up in a nice bow at the end and sweet justice has been served. I do not like mysteries where something truly horrible happens. I like entertainment that is entertaining, and usually, in order to have a mystery, there is a murder or something, but especially in Agatha Christie, you don't get a lot of horrific details. The thing happens, 
and the rest of it is figuring out what happened. Same same with shows. I like shows that don't focus on sure. the gore or anything like truly psychologically upsetting. I do not like the kind of books you like <laughs> where there's all this I don't even know upsetting things and like weird philosophies. I like the kind of cut and dried mysteries. And Agatha Christie, I really like her Poirot books the best. Poirot. Yeah. However you say his name. Um he is a great character and the character is good throughout all of the novels. So even if one of his books doesn't like the story itself wouldn't be that interesting, except that he's in it, he's good. Um so are you saying when we get done taping this and I go to watch No Country for Old Men, you're not... That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm out of here. I will say, Agatha Christie, if you, I think if you do a body count, like there's a decent number of deaths, but it is the most oh, yeah. civilized murdering Yes. That I mean, ever in been. some of her books, yeah, the bodies just pile up, but it's not... You didn't know most... Uh, yeah, I think this is accurate. You usually, she's not usually killing off people you've grown attached to. They may be greatly imperiled, but <laughs> they don't usually die. Um, and yeah, she just doesn't dwell a lot on, and there's nothing really creepy in an Agatha Christie book either. There, it's like kind of straightforward murder, which sounds <laughs> sort of... <laughs> That's what you're into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, but you should read, well, if you have it handy, the inscription or the dedication at the beginning of this book, I think is part of what makes a good mystery. I do have the inscription at the beginning of the book. I have the entire book. Right well, here. hey, you are prepared. All right. Here is the inscription by Agatha Christie. To all those who lead monotonous lives in the hope that they may experience at second hand the delights and dangers of adventure. There you have it. I like experiencing only at second hand the delights and dangers of whatever it was she said. Just a step or two or three removed, but still some of the feeling. Yes. On the topic of what makes a good mystery novel, I find that I love her books even though I virtually never have a clue who done it. <laughs> this is the only book of hers where I've ever had a had an inkling on the right person at any point in the book. Um, Which we you... will definitely be discussing. Yes. So what... if you have not read this novel, <laughs> right. hit pause, read it quick. Not a hard read, by the way. No. Easy to get into. Goes pretty quick. And there's pretty good audio versions as well. For sure. For sure. Okay, so to have a good mystery. You gotta tie up the loose ends. Gotta, and yes, gotta tie up the loose ends. You don't like moral ambiguity. No. Not too much blood and gore. Just be civilized about your murdering, yeah. please. Not too much blood and gore and nothing creepy. Nothing creepy. If you can kill people, kill people. It doesn't yeah. need to get any more involved in that. We don't need that. to hear a lot. No. <laughs> okay. We just and... find the corpses. We don't watch them die. Right. Okay. And justice. Justice. Sweet justice sweet justice all right okay i'm on board with it so <clears throat> someday we're gonna have to talk more about your perceptions of my literary taste but <laughs> but today is not the day <laughs> today's not the day 
This was my first Agatha Christie novel, so... Your first one ever? Yes. You are a high school English teacher. Did you read Agatha Christie in high school English? Well, probably not, but didn't you have to take a gob of English classes in college? My friends who are high school English teachers took, yeah. like, courses on Agatha Christie. Oh, I didn't know those existed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I would be interested to know what those are, because these aren't exactly, like, literary. <laughs> these are pretty commercial... <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, but they're so good. You and your they literary. Well, there are definitely worthy things to study, and we'll get into that later. But yeah, they're um, not Hemingway or no. what have you. Definitely not Hemingway. But they're anyway. They're way better. <laughs> oh, Carly Spidell <laughs> with the hot take. All right, so this is my first one. So my exposure to Agatha Christie before this was a few, like, the Perot television series. Right, which very are... Popular. Not as good as the books. I don't doubt I it. I think, although I only watched those when I was younger, and I yeah. don't think I would have appreciated her books at that time either. So sure. now, watching them, I might really enjoy them. It's hard to say. Um, yeah. I just remember Mom watching them. And yeah. So I, and, and as a kid, I mean, they're kind of like, yeah, kind of stuffy and boring, and I didn't right. get it. Right. They look pretty low budget. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then, you know, like Murder on the Orient Express and yes. stuff like that, which is a little... A little more intense. Right. At least, I mean, obviously, as a viewer of a movie, that's more intense it's than the Poirot yeah. TV show. Of course. So, a couple of things that uh, stood out to me, especially talking about things you could study on Agatha Christie. One is the plotting. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, she's plotting these stories. Um, you know, a lot of, especially commercially successful authors, essentially will find a pattern and then... Right. It's just the same pattern over and over. Again, I haven't read much Agatha Christie. I get the impression she wasn't as formulaic, and that's probably why she's been more successful. Um, right. But you hear from... Um, like, I had this experience reading, like, The Lincoln Lawyer, which would be a grittier version of this. Right. Right? More blood, more whatever. Don't um, like those as much. You don't. Right. I thought they were a lot better, except two or three in, it was the same story essentially right. each time and I was out. I would say out. hers are the same in the sense that excepting this one um she really does you just don't know who it was until you get to the end like they are pretty brilliantly written if not like a literary mm -hmm. brilliant um however I would not base your opinion of her on this book i think i don't know if it was only the second book she ever wrote but it was the second published detective fiction and it was her first like spy and espionage thriller mm. so it is different pretty different from most of her other books except that it has still all of the twists and turns and red herrings and all of that if you like to be tantalized, yes, Agatha Christie's. She's your girl, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the plotting, um, obviously she's got a plan. She knows where she's going. Right. And then she's able to structure it in a way that keeps you in, which is pretty cool uh, and impressive. She does um, a great job transitioning at the end of chapters to keep you invested. Yes. Which actually kind of reminded me of To Kill a Mockingbird. I know Harper Lee does it. So it's not like it's... A tool that can be used in commercial fiction, literary fiction, whatever. Right. Uh, it's just a good tool. 
So Which end is, your chapters. Yeah. It's irritating as a reader, though, because you're like, at the end of this chapter, I'm going to quit and go do the dishes or go to bed or what have you. And then you get to the end of the chapter and you can't possibly quit. <sighs> Great storyteller. Alas. Agatha Christie. <laughs> well done, Agatha. Um, not the detectives I expected. So I was expecting right. Perot. Yes. A reversion of that. Um, I knew this was one of her earliest novels. So I didn't expect, you know, like full strength Agatha Christie, right. peak of her powers. Um, but yeah, I was expecting like a more serious detective. Right. Like a, a lot of pride in being a detective, uh, like a, a Perot or a Sherlock or something more along that yeah. line. This is just about two people who are like, hey, these, let's let's do adventures. And yes. then boom. These two are flying by the seat of their pants. And we'll get into that with the uh, didn't buy it category later. Oh, but we'll get there. Okay. Oh, we'll get there. And then finally, it was pretty easy to get into. As someone who doesn't read a lot of mysteries, I was kind of like, I don't know about this. Yeah, I had to kind of prod him to get him to read this one. (laughs) A little bit. I'm glad you did. It's good. Good stuff. So the story, this is a Tommy and Tuppence novel. And I didn't know there were other Tommy and Tuppence novels until I looked at the foreword in your copy. Yes, there are five. And getting into the haphazard internet research a little too soon, but that's all right. Two of them written in the 1920s, one written in the 40s, one written in the late 60s, and one written in the early 70s. So this is not, you know, typically you think a writer's doing a series with characters that just kind of... You know, once every one to one to four years, right. probably you're going to get another one. Um, but to spread out five books over half of a century, right? And she's writing all kinds of stuff in between there. Mm-hmm. Incredibly prolific writer. The one in, when did she stop writing? Did you find that in your haphazard? Because I, I have read at least one book that was like sort of by her, but sort of not really. That I think came out in the seventies. That they like adapted from a play she had written i'm just wondering if that one in the 70s was something she wrote or something they found in her papers that's kind of interesting interesting that's so haphazard i don't know if i'd even call it research well that's a misremembered something that's why we have that category (laughs) so tommy and tuppence yeah not the detectives i expected right um they call themselves the young adventurers immediately get involved in this international case uh the, the mysterious mr brown yeah and that's really the the center question right who is this mr brown guy described as so what nondescript almost described as nondescript that doesn't work but yeah but that's basically what happens they say that he's so of course it's written in the 20s of course it has the bad guy is the communists right. um and the original book cover so it's the secret adversary. The original cover is taking off like a theater mask and it's a bear underneath because Russia was the bear. Oh. Yeah. So that, see, Now that is not haphazard research. That is on the money. That's yeah. a deep dive. That's a that's a little bit of the former social studies teacher coming out. The I, bear. I wish that was the cover that was still on this book. Oh, yeah. that would be better. That yeah. was, I had listened to the audio book. I was looking for something online. And that was the original one. Anyway, so so that's kind of the you know that Mr. Brown is sort of part of that, and there's and there's the actual political situation at the time 
in the 20s is in this book. But yeah, Mr. Brown is basically described as being everywhere, kind of this criminal mastermind, but nobody, he's one of those faces you don't recognize. Nobody after the fact can describe him. The people in his own organization don't know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's running an international crime syndicate. Right. Where none of his henchmen really know him. Right. And he likes to personally be involved in little ways in lots of the crimes. Probably not Mm -hmm. all of them. But people can never... And he even goes under his own name. Like, they'll call him Brown. But later, people are never able to identify him. Yeah. So, Tommy and Tuppence Mm -hmm. have nothing better to do. Yeah, they're They're broke. They're broke. They were Um, both... He was a soldier in World War I, and she was like a voluntary um, aid worker. So they're both out of out of a job. So they get recruited to, well, first she gets recruited to pose as this mysterious character, Jane Finn, uh, which is really what, so she's kind of the, the object everyone's trying to get. Right. Everyone needs to find Jane Finn because she has documents that if Mr. Brown can get them, he will use to... Uh, establish a communist foothold in post-World War I England. Exactly. Can't have that happening. Nope. I mean, for real. <laughs> for real. That'd be terrible. Yes. So, everyone's looking for Jane Finn. Um, Tommy and Tuppence eventually just kind of agree to work for the British government, and we're going to try to find this girl, find these documents, save the day. Uh, it has to be done by the 29th, which is the Labor Day Right? Labor Day? Yeah, Labor is in the Labor Party. The Labor Party, yeah. Yeah, that's the day that they've set for the strike that they're going to do. Yeah, to kick off the the communist movement. Yes. Interesting. A revolution. Yes. Of course. This is the first... So I've watched a lot of mystery shows and movies. Mm -hmm. Also the first one where I felt like before the midway point of the book, I thought I knew who Mr. Brown was and I was a little disappointed in Agatha. Yeah. Um... Turned out I was wrong. Darn it. Right. But yeah, so there's a scene in the novel where his character, Mrs. Vandermeier, and she's going to tell them who Mr. Brown is because she's the one kind of who knows. She's, she's like the weak link in Mr. Brown's organization right. who's all about money. Mm-hmm. Mirrored by Tuppence on the good side who is all about money. And that's how <laughs> she and Tommy got into this mess in the first place. Yes. So yes, Mrs. Vandermeier. Yeah. So they agree to the next morning, she'll get her payment, she'll tell them Mr. Brown is. At that moment, Tuppence comes in, or behind Tuppence comes Mr. Julius Hersheimer, who claims to be Jane Finn's cousin from America, who's searching for her. Fabulously wealthy. Fabulously wealthy. And J. Peel Edgerton, yeah. who's, I'm not sure what a KC is, because I'm not British. Yeah, I don't know either. Some he's, type a, of he's a lawyer. Big time hotshot lawyer who might be the next prime minister of England. Right. She, Mrs. Vandermeer's a... King's Council. King's Council. I think that might be what it stands for. That makes sense. And Mrs. Vandermeer's going on about how Mr. Brown finds out it's a problem. She'll die. These two walk in and she, like, gives a shriek and passes out. And then they go to give her some brandy to revive her. It passes from Hersheimer to Edgerton to Tuppence to Mrs. Vandermeer. She drinks it, and she dies. So very early on, it gets narrowed down. Right. Well, that's probably half or two-thirds of the way through the book. 
pretty close to halfway point. Probably halfway. Yes, and I think that is unusual in Agatha Christie because you know it's not Tuppence. You mm-hmm. have enough backstory on her. And the other two have kind of been the only suspects throughout if you are assuming that it's somebody you know and not somebody who hasn't really been introduced. But yes, I think that's unusual for her to narrow it down that early. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was her shining the whole time, and then it wasn't. Yeah. I vacillated, but I I thought it... There were some things about Edgerton. Yeah, there are definitely some things about him. He's mysterious. He disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gathering evidence to prove that it's Hersheimer that you kind of pick up on. Right. You can tell he's trying to pin it on Hersheimer, especially yeah. towards the end. But you can't tell if he's right or... Right. Yeah. Should we get to the categories? Yeah. Quotes... Any favorite quotes on this one? I have a gob. A gob. A gob. Can we narrow it down to like three? <laughs> Maybe. Alright. Most of the exchanges between Tommy and Tuppence have something pretty hilarious in them. It was, yeah, and that was part of what surprised me was this was a pretty funny yeah. detective duo. Right. Yeah. They're pretty good. Uh, I was surprised you didn't write more than five, actually. Especially over 50 years. Right. Well, she had some good things going with some of her other people. Oh, okay. Two of my best ones between Tommy and Tuppence are You're really more conceited than I am, with less excuse. Will <laughs> <laughs> uh, marks for industry, zero for modesty. And then from later in the novel when Tommy is causing a disturbance to get Tuppence's attention. Pretending to be drunk, singing in the yard. It's Agatha says, Tommy had not a note of music in his voice, but his lungs were excellent. The noise he produced was terrific. Yes, and there's a lot of that. A yes, lot of that there's kind of a stuff. lot of that, and I love it. Yeah, if you're into that, if you're into clever, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek type stuff, yeah. Yeah. You're going to enjoy Agatha. Yeah, there's a lot of that that I didn't enjoy. Um, oh. They're very British. The Can I throw in one more quote? Go for it. Tuppence says it to uh, Mrs. Vandemeyer when she's trying to convince her to turn. Revenge is very unsatisfactory. Everyone always says so. But money, well, there's nothing unsatisfactory about money, is there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tuppence, who her whole life is going to marry rich and yeah, that's her plan. And... She's pretty mercenary. Yes. <laughs> and she does end up at the end, agrees to marry Tommy after his rich uncle has, like, officially adopted him and he stands to inherit. Yes. But she was already going to. When she thought Tommy was dying, she had her moment where she was like, I'm failing all my principles, but I'm in love with Tommy. Yeah. You have more faith in Tuppence than I do. Yeah, a little bit. That's all right. These are your people. <laughs> These are my people. These are your people. I wish they were my people. <laughs> yes, but they're very British. They're very dramatic at different times. Lots of exclamation points. Yeah. Tuppence, um, she's the kind of friend that I would enjoy being around for 45 minutes or less a couple times a week. And I don't that's think about I as would much even, as I could handle it. Yeah, I don't think I'd even be friends with her. I mean, I might have a little <laughs> more faith in her in terms of you, but like as a firstborn, follow the rules type of person... Tuppence would make me nervous. <laughs> not, yeah, she's not that. No. 
Kind of a spoiled little brat. Yeah. Little or something. I mean, it sounds like she didn't even grow up spoiled, but yeah, she she just flat out says several times how much she loves money. <laughs> but mostly, I mean, there's some point at which Tommy says, like, fortunately, I don't have the taste for crime that you do. Like, she's just, mm. she's kind of out there. Not a lot of filter I, on, yeah. on Tuppence. <laughs> no, she'll do anything. Which makes for a very readable character. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Vivid image. I had, when I thought, like, when I think back on the novel, mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene where Tommy sneaks into a house in Soho yep. where all the bigwigs, bigwigs of Mr. Brown's criminal uh, enterprise are meeting and trying to figure out what to do. And Mr. Brown might be there, he might not, and Tommy's able to eavesdrop and peek in the door, and he gives you this description of all the characters who are in there. Mm -hmm. And it's an international just band of misfits, kind of. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty good scene. I enjoyed that one. Um, The shootout, kind of the fake shootout you find, where or I guess it wasn't a fake shootout, where Hersheimer saves the girls. Yeah. um, But Mr. Brown's kind of allowing him to... Right. Yeah. But they know that he's allowing them to. Yes. It's it's like, it's oh, you know that I know, but I know that you know that I know. Yeah. Yes. It's very much one of those. Um, but those were my two, like, really right. stand out in my mind. Yeah. Tommy in the house at Soho is definitely one that stood out in my mind as well. Partly because it made me so nervous the whole time <laughs> he was in the house. And also because she is a little bit over the top in her description, or, or in her... Well, but I like it. I like it black and white. Of course, the evil people's house. She keeps talking about how filthy it is. Yeah, because they're a bunch of scumbags. It's filthy and they lock you away in a dark room with pictures of Faust? Yes. We should have done more research on that. Yeah. If we had understood that, I think there would have been a whole other level to this book. This is how blue collar we are. We read it and say, I don't know what that is, but I take it to me and it's kind of weird. Right. So I'm going to keep going. I think, okay, remember in the second Sherlock Holmes movie with Russell Downey Jr. And Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I don't know where Russell came from. You know who I mean. Yeah. And uh, Moriarty is at the theater and it's the devil and oh, all the things. Yeah. That might have been Faust. Sure. I don't, I don't know. I just think if I were less blue collar, I would know. For sure, but I don't. Okay. Anyway, that was one memorable was Tommy in the house. And the other thing that I just found, a lot of the book is a little bit difficult to visualize. I think that she's way more into dialogue than into descriptions. Like, she gives you a pretty good what each person looks like. But other than that, if you're not familiar with London, it's kind of like, where are they? Very true. Um, but one thing, or the other kind of scene that I found pretty easy to see in my mind's eye was the conversation between Tuppence and Mrs. Vandermeyer, where Mrs. Vandermeyer starts out with Tuppence at gunpoint, and then Tuppence, quick-thinking Tuppence, gets a hold of the gun and kind of turns the tables on her and talks her into giving up Mr. Brown. Right. Um, that scene was pretty vivid. That was a good one. Yeah, when... You know, you talk about her description. Um, yeah, that scene where Tommy's eavesdropping. She'll describe... So they're identified by number as they come into the room. So she The gives bad you, guys are. Yeah, the bad yeah. guys are. So she gives you the number, something about their physical appearance, 
and then where she thinks their accent was from. Correct. But then she will refer to them by any of those three right. later on throughout the conversation. So if you don't have them straight, it's a little it confusing. It is complicated, yes. But you can also just think they're all bad guys. All it bad. really doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And they're fairly interchangeable. I mean, yeah. some of them emerge as sort of leaders of the bad guys, and you can figure out who they are when she refers to them again. Other than that, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Very good. Uh, next category. Oh, one more, one other image yeah. from the book. As I think back on the book, the image I have is of Tommy and Tuppence in the cafe at the beginning. It's very mm -hmm. something else in a lot of British. They're always eating out in British detective novels. And they not, don't eat at their house. Not meals. Right. It's like biscuits or yeah. buns. So anyway, that it feels like people ate out a fair bit in the book. But the yeah. kind of the big scene is at the beginning and. I don't know if you read this in your... This is not haphazard. This is legit. All right. Um, the thing that got Agatha Christie, like the idea that planted in her mind to write this book was that she was eating at one of those places. And it sounds like people are just kind of crammed in together, like a restaurant. Right. And she overheard these two old ladies talking about someone named Jane Finn. Or I think it was actually Jane Finch. Sure. And it was such an unusual name which I think is interesting, yes. that it stuck in her mind. And so she started thinking about overhearing people in cafes, which happens in in the book, kind of, or overhearing people in different places, and then this name that's so memorable. Because the whole thing in the beginning is that Tommy has overheard the name Jane Finn, and it just sticks out to him as memorable. He tells Tuppence about it in the cafe at the beginning, and then when Tuppence, in her mercenary will do anything, no unreasonable offer refused if the pay is good enough. Mm -hmm. um, she's talking unbeknownst to one of the bad guys, and he asks her what her name is, and she realizes she shouldn't give him her own name, and Jane Finn pops into her mind, and that's what sets the whole novel. It's interesting to me, because Jane Finn, I think it's a nice name, and I don't think that it's all that unusual, but apparently to Agatha Christie... In England in 1920, yeah, apparently that you That were. was an odd name. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so this brings us to didn't buy it. Okay. <laughs> so, the very beginning, they decide to become detectives. He's a former soldier. Everyone thinks, and this comes up throughout the novel, he looks a little dumb. He kind of comes off a little dumb. But really, Tommy's catching everything. It's not that he's dumb. It's that he's slow and deliberate. Yeah. That's And it. so, as Mr. Carson says in the end, he wouldn't have said so unless he was sure. True. So we got him, but not a particularly... Yeah, it also says several times he's not marked by his intelligence. Yes. And then Tuppence, who's this, like, chasing money, wherever the wind blows, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so they decide to become adventurers or detectives. And within two weeks, they have foiled the world's greatest criminal mastermind. Was it only two weeks? Three? Does three make it I better? I think it's under a month. Okay, so it's under a month. <laughs> they go from two friends, childhood friends, who need to make money, to they just took out Mr. Brown, who was going to lead a communist revolution in England and was one document away. Sure, sure. Okay. But it mentions that Tommy was in intelligence during the war because that's how he recognizes Mr. Carter. I called him Mr. Carson earlier. It's Mr. Carter. Okay. And Tuppence is pretty plucky 
like she is mercenary and she is just in it for the money like when they set up the young adventurers i don't think they even think they're going to be detectives necessarily she thinks they'll be hired to be jewel thieves um but she's pretty good at thinking on her feet and it turns out that tommy is too and that's kind of what saves them both throughout the book i see where you're going but i am willing to go along for the ride Okay. These are your people, again. <laughs> it was just, yeah, we have a potentially slow-witted man watching this criminal enterprise, and he's just able to figure it out. He's th- well, he's, it took him a little while, but he figured it out. And they have help. They have Mr. Carter helping them a little bit. Like, Tuppence knows what to ask for. He gets her the information. Well, I guess Mr. Brown is leading them along. He basically is trying to get them to get him over the last step. Right. So he's feeding them enough information. So the thing is, I don't think we've mentioned this for those who haven't read it. Sorry, we're spoiling the whole deal. So the whole thing in the book is Jane Finn has this treaty that the government in England wants and the Labor Party could use to bring them down. She's on the Lusitania, the ship goes down, she survives. The government doesn't know for sure what happened, but you find out that Mr. Brown's Enterprise captured her as soon as she got to England, and she has been pretending to have amnesia for years, because this book doesn't take place till the 20s. So that's what's keeping her alive, is she's not telling them where it is, and she's convinced them she has amnesia. Because she was traveling to Paris. Right. And so she knows French well enough right. to pass herself off as, I believe I'm a French woman, not this Jane Finn. So she's been right. speaking French for five years. Yeah. The papers were handed to her. She's not an agent. Right. Um, the so guy she's also them, very quick on her feet. Yeah. You get enough quick-footed people. That's right. You can solve anything. That's right. Them and Taylor Swift. Yeah. So, so the problem for Mr. Brown is that he needs her alive, but his whole, they've had her seeing a psychiatrist, like they can't figure out where the things are. The government doesn't need the treaty anymore. They just don't want Mr. Brown to get it. Yeah. So everybody, the government's trying to find Jane Finn, and even though the bad guys have Jane Finn, they can't get what they need from her. So Mr. Brown, who is Who's Edgerton, Edgerton is using Tommy and Tuppence and Julius, the American cousin of Jane Finn, to try to get what he wants. There you go. So, I, okay, that does make it all more plausible. I'm still not sure, <laughs> but whatever. That's fine, that's fine. Okay, did you have a didn't buy it? Tommy in the Soho house... Well, I don't know. I guess I buy it. You keep thinking, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. I was surprised they didn't bonk him in the head earlier. But he does get bonked in the head, so I guess I buy it. I didn't really buy Hersheimer proposing to Tuppence. Hersheimer (laughs) proposing to anyone. First he proposes to Tuppence, and I never really understood why. Well, because she's charming. (laughs) So he just proposes. Middle of the investigation, they're trying to figure it out. She kind of suspects he's Mr. Brown. Right. And... And she re- that's also right around the time that Tommy has been bonked in the head in this house in Soho. No one knows where he is, and she's thinking he's dead, but she doesn't want to marry Hersheimer, Julius Hersheimer. And, well, and, and then, then you find out... Well, go ahead. He, well, Hersheimer ends up getting engaged to his cousin. And you find out that's been his plan all along. He saw her picture in America and was like, oh, 
she's the one for me. So yeah, that, yes, both proposals are fairly implausible. <laughs> but the big implausible thing, which we've kind of talked about, is that no one recognizes Mr. Brown. Because when you realize that Mr. Brown is Edgerton, he's like a famous person that all of the principal characters have spent a lot of time with. Mm -hmm. And Julius had already seen him and didn't recognize him. And I just don't think he could be that because he's described as being so forgettable, but he's also described when both Tommy and Tuppence meet him as having this very magnetic personality like draws you to him. Well, he talks in the end, so he dies, and this was one of the, not I didn't buy it, but it almost made my list. So he yeah. dies, he kills himself. They find out Mr. who he is. He kills himself, apparently, with some type of poison. Something very civilized, non-gruesome way. Yeah. And, uh, but he left a diary that has detailed notes about everything he ever thought and did, essentially. Right. And so he brags about how... Apparently, he must have been kind of a sociopath because he's able to like... Yes. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, imitate any personality. And he's like, I could have been the world's greatest actor and blah, blah, blah. Right. But instead, so, I went into criminology. Yeah. yeah. And there's all of this. And like, I get that to a point. But the idea that everyone has seen this guy as Mr. Brown and just for the life of themselves can't remember him. Right. But he, he walks around as Edgerton and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who's going to be the next prime minister. Right. Yeah, it's it's... I agree. It's hard to believe that he can have it both ways. Yeah. Um, let's see. Rewrites. Agatha Christie just loves a good adverb. Yeah, but... So much. I love him right along with <laughs> I don't. Um, I, I thought I could have done without him. Like when a character asks questioningly... <laughs> I don't need it, Agatha. I saw the question mark. I don't need questioningly. Come on. Some of those adverbs were clearly made up. I'm like, that's no. Even better. <laughs> I don't know. It yeah. depends on uh, depends on your taste. If you read a lot of Hemingway, you're probably not into the adverbs, but you don't. So and you I can't stand Hemingway. <laughs> so there you have it. Fair enough. Um, and then I was a little disappointed in the publisher of the copy I had. Quotation marks are missing in the wrong places. I don't, just someone at HarperCollins, just give it a look through. Can we fix that? Yeah, that was a little weird. I actually listened to the audiobook, um, so I missed out on that. I did, however, <laughs> side note, think that the, the henchman at the house in Soho, who is the doorman who ends up bonking Tommy in the head and then who guards his room, I thought they were calling him comrade, as in the whole communist comrade mm -hmm. thing. But when I was flipping through your book, it's actually Conrad, C-O-N-R-A-D, the name. And I actually thought comrade fit better. It and was. I wondered if that was a mistake. But they it's... did it over and over, so it probably wasn't. Sure. But yeah. that's my rewrite, basically. That's it. I would have called him comrade. That's fair. A uh, character you'd most want to get a beer with. Jane. Oh, that's a good pick. Tuppence, as aforementioned, would wear on my nerves a bit in real life. It'd, be, um, it'd have to be a small beer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Jane, I, Jane is kind of, she's the center of the book, but you don't actually get to see her that much. But what you do see, she is very clever and very, so 
as you mentioned, she was not in, she was not an agent. The British government had an agent, but because when the Lusitania went down, only the women and children got to get in the lifeboats, he gave it to her. And in that moment, she decided, okay, I'm in. Um, and kept up that ruse for years to protect this treaty that she really didn't know anything about. Um, so she's pretty resourceful. She's pretty clever. She actually seems maybe the most level-headed of the whole bunch. <laughs> Until she just agrees to marry her cousin. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she liked him right away. Um, yeah. Oh, another thing I found a little bit unbelievable was when she... As soon as she meets him, she likes him because she's like, your accent reminds me of home. I'm homesick and starts tearing up. And I was like, okay, Jane. But, <laughs> but yeah, she's the one that I'd want to hang out with, probably. Okay, that's cool. I had, yeah, Tuppence, if it's quick, just, <laughs> I don't even necessarily want to, like, me have a beer with her. I would just like to be at the table next to her. Just like, right. I feel like I could get inspired. I feel a la like Agatha Christie and just come up with some crazy story. If you had a beer with Tuppence, you'd want it to be a group of three to four people. Yes. yes. So it, it'd be intense to be one-on-one with Tuppence. Yeah. Uh, and then I had Mr. Carter, just yes. kind of this government guy, knows a lot of stuff. He's always working things behind the scenes. And a good guy to know. I mean, he puts right. him up in the Ritz. Exactly. He's like, all expenses paid, just get me this stinking document. Right. Also, maybe that's another didn't buy it. Really, the government is like, oh, you too? It was a different time. It was the Roaring Twenties. <laughs> okay. Uh, character to get his own novel. Um, I went with Albert. Oh, the boy. yeah. So Albert uh, is employed by Mrs. Vandermeier. And immediately... Well, I think he's employed by the building she lives in. Oh, yeah, yeah. In. But yes, sure. he's the elevator boy. Elevator boy who reads a lot of fanciful mystery novels like me yes and immediately <laughs> tuppence is able to get him to be her uh he's like a sherlock holmes like one of the homeless guys on the street yeah that helps him out yeah irregular yeah yes he's like that i could see him growing up and just deciding to become a detective oh absolutely because, he's yeah. already decided mm -hmm. yes but yeah immediately he's all in on this yeah i have my suspicions about that yes. mrs van <laughs> blah 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 and he's not wrong yeah, so I liked him. Who'd you have? I had Mr. Carter. Oh, I'd like to hear his backstory. He sounds so in the book. I bet he did a lot of interesting stuff during World War One. Oh, I bet he did too. Yes, you don't get to find out a lot about him except he's high up in the government. He's in intelligence. Most of the time, he meets with Tommy and Tuppence. It's kind of in this house where nobody knows where he, who he really is. Mm -hmm. um, but at one point, Tommy goes to the government buildings to find him. So you know that he. Yeah, he probably knows a lot of interesting stuff. He's probably done a lot of interesting stuff. He's probably like Sherlock's brother. A little right. Bit. Yes. Actually, yes. Kind of the power behind the throne. Yes, so as speak. it were. <laughs> Very good. All right. Hulu Dreamcast. So if Hulu were to pick up these novels yeah. and do a series, which, not a bad idea. They still could. Still could. Um, who would you cast in some of these roles? So I, I just looked at Tommy and Tuppence. I think this is, hands down, a comedic um, detective story. So I said Melissa McCarthy and Josh Gad. Yeah. I thought they would be fantastic. Uh, I don't know. Where'd you go with that? I went in a different direction. I said Zoe Deschanel and Matthew Good, the guy from Leap Year. Um, mm -hmm. He'd have to dye his hair red. But <laughs> I'd Zoe let Josh is keep pretty... his hair and just ignore the, 
the red hair thing. I think the red hair is part of it. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. I think Zoe Deschanel, especially, like, new Mm girl-ish, has the wild and craziness to pull off Tuppence. Sure. And the confidence. Tuppence is very (laughs) self-confident. Like, very self-confident. Maybe to a fault. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Who's to say? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be great. This would be a pretty entertaining series, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dang. All right, haphazard internet research. Well, I'm not done with my casting. Okay, let's continue with the casting. Uh, Julius. Julius or Julian? Julius. Julius. That's what I thought. Um, Matt Damon. Or Leonardo DiCaprio, who has the more square jaw as written, but I like Matt Damon better. I think it should be him. Uh, Rita Sigourney Weaver. Rita is Mrs. Vandermeyer. Oh, oh, I like that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, clearly, we don't know enough British actors and actresses. Clearly, to yeah, write. they're going to have to use some accents. Well, uh, Matthew Good. There you go. Yeah. Jane, Lily James, who is the gal from the Guernsey oh. Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. I love Lily I think she'd James. be a good Jane. She's good. Um, Sir James Peel Edgerton, Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Mr. Brown <laughs> is Billy Bob? Yes. Oh, is he nondescript enough? Yes. I don't think Edgerton really is nondescript. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, and Mr. Carter, Tommy Lee Jones. You go all out on these. I like you it. You said it was my dream cast. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. Great job. Thank you. Okay. We're done with that? Yep. Now I'm done. Okay. Haphazard internet research. Uh, this story was turned into a 1983 movie. You can rent it on YouTube for $1.99. But the casting is probably not as good as I would have done. I did not recognize any of the faces. No. Yeah. Uh, it's also been performed as a play with a lot of music. Really? I found the trailer on YouTube. I don't know if there's more. But yeah, it was definitely this story. This would be a rough play. There's so many scenes. Or I mean different scenery, it seems like. That's true. I don't know. I'm sure they can pull it off. Sure. It's all London at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, that's what I had. And then the five novels published over a span of 50 years. And it looked to me like Mr. Carter does play a role in those novels, or at least uh, in the second one. Um, see, my not, well, more or less verified research. It was the second Agatha Christie work to be made into a movie. It was a silent movie made in Germany. And I cannot imagine how you could pull this off as a silent movie. And it was like 75 minutes long. They thought that it was just lost to history, but they found it and it was shown in 2001. I have so many questions, but I also don't want to watch it. Um, and then, interesting, Harper Collins came out with a graphic novel adaptation in 2008. People love Tommy and Tuppence. Yeah. Give the people what they want, Hulu. That's Pick right. this up. Come on, Hulu. That was 2008. True. Now is the time. Um, doesn't take a whole lot of research because they throw it on all of her books, but over a billion... Right. Uh... Novels sold. She's only out. Agatha Christie is only outsold by the Bible and William Shakespeare. Right, which is insane. Yeah, Harry Potter, take a back seat. Yeah, I will say the Brits really sell a lot of literature. Yeah, that's true. 
It is also interesting that you go from Shakespeare to Agatha Christie. Right. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. But. Yes. Well, yeah, that's more than the Sherlock Holmes stories. Mm-hmm. And she did write a lot of things, so that helps you get closer to a million, but that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yep. It helps, when, yeah, when you write dozens and dozens of novels. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Carly. It's been a pleasure.